I, I will say that uh, for those who may wonder or may not know, uh, our brother Fred, who is Ellen Pafford's father, was hospice was brought in this morning. Uh, they've ordered a hospital bed. I believe he is uh, now there, and they've, they've received some greater medication to keep him comfortable. So please continue to keep that family in your prayers. I know that they're so uh, dis, you know, distraught over not being with us at this time, but obviously they're where they're. So please continue to keep Terry and Ellen and their family uh, in your prayers. Any other specific announcements that, that you know need to be made at this time? Let us pray. Most powerful Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, Father, so very excited to be here once again, to be encouraged, to be taught on ways that we can evangelize this world that's round about us. Father, we're so very blessed to have Brother Rob with us, and we, we just love his energy and his zeal for the truth and for teaching others how to do personal Bible studies, and we're so very blessed to be able to have him come and speak to us during this seminar. We pray your richest blessings on him and his family as they continue to labor, that they may have many years upon this earth to do so, that they may never lack in energy and strength and health to continue to do the work that they do. Father, we do pray, especially this evening, for the Pafford family as they face what lies ahead, Father, we pray that you would comfort them, that they might find peace in their hearts when they think of you and in the situation that they find themselves in, Father, we pray that they might have courage, that they might have strength, and that they might be filled with love and then surround them with love. Father, we thank you so much again for this night to be here to be encouraged, to be strengthened. We pray that we might listen, listen attentively and that we might listen and let it soak into our minds and get ready to get to work. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. People are not dot to dots. They don't go A, B, C, D. They go A, Z, P, D. They don't go 1, 2, 3. They go 1, 9, 7, 3. They don't all look like us. They don't, they don't all come from our backgrounds. When you evangelize, you're going to run into people from every background. You're going to run into people from a variety of locations, spiritually, morally. So what do you do when you come across someone who's not like you? In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, the Bible says, according to his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Rather, through the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he has equipped us to deal with any situation. It it certainly uh, is not always going to come out as we hope. You're going to run into Corinthians. You're going to run into Ephesians. I'm talking about spiritually, morally speaking. People who have have come out of the world, who are still in the world. People who um, come from cultures where certain practices may be, um, they may be, repugnant to us, maybe completely unfamiliar. And yet we're going to take a gospel to all people from all races and all backgrounds, and we're trying to get them all to the same place. But the fear of the unknown at times keeps brethren from evangelizing. In fact, during the uh, seminar, it may be that some of us are hiding because we're afraid of what might happen. 
We're afraid of, I can't deal with this. I'm not equipped for this. We're, I'm going to run into a situation where, where I'm not going to have an answer. I'd better leave it to Mike. I'd better leave it to Adam um, because I'm just not prepared for difficult questions. So here's what I want to do tonight. I want to deal with difficult scenarios. I'm going to put some of those difficult scenarios that we've experienced in evangelism in front of us. And I'm going to demonstrate through the word of God that there is no situation that God cannot overcome. The blood of Christ can deal with any sin. Um, the, The Bible can deal with any problem. And there is nothing that we should fear tonight when it comes to evangelism. I want to introduce you to Callie Hudson. Um, we were uh, preparing for uh, services, and um, as I normally um, observe, the Hackett family had arrived. Now, the Hackett family always arrived at the left-hand side of the, uh, uh, the uh, tri-shaped auditorium, and there's going to be Mama Hackett and Daddy Hackett, there's Jeff and Melody Hackett, and then there's going to be uh, Clinton Hackett, the oldest Hackett, and then, the, then the, the children, other children will follow, there's Allison Hackett, Jed Hackett, and little Caitlin Hackett. The Hacketts are always at church, but this time there was an, there was an extra and she was very close to Clifton Hackett. And she sat right next down to Clifton Hackett. And she made little eyes at Clifton. Clifton smiled. And I could tell very quickly that this must be the girlfriend of Clifton. He has brought the new girlfriend. Well, um, immediately I'm thinking prospect. Brother, when I walk into the church services, I'm always looking for visitors. I'm, look, I'm not looking for you, and I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I would be looking for visitors. I'm looking for those who are not members of that congregation. I'm identifying them. In fact, when my son was, when my son was smaller, and uh, I don't think Jared does this today, but, but when he was smaller, when a visitor would walk into the church building, he would get behind them when they couldn't see, and he'd do this on their back. And he'd follow along because he knows dad has a target and dad's looking for him. And uh, the, the members of the church say, Jared, don't do that. Jared, don't do that. And uh, I'm looking at Callie. And I, I, I think one thing. I said, here's a potential Bible study. So as soon as I had an opportunity with Clifton was alone, I said, Clifton, I said, who do you got with you? This That's my, that's Callie. We're friends. Uh, and I invited her to services this morning. And I said, well, that's a great first step. Uh, Clifton, I'm glad she's here. Uh, Clifton, is she a member of the church? No. And I said, all right. I said, well, you're going to work on her, aren't you? He said, oh, yes. He said, I'm going to. And so some time had passed, you know, several weeks. My, Callie's coming. Um, and there was a time when Clifton was sick and Callie came by herself. And I was, boy, that was impressive to me. This young lady, she's singing, she's praying. She, has, she always is smiling. So I finally said, Clifton, I said, what are your plans with Callie? He said, Robba, I think she's the one. And I said, wow, that's a big statement to make, son. He said, he said, yeah, but I, I won't go any further, Rob. If she's not a Christian, I need some help. I said, well, I, just, I know just what to do. I said, Clifton, we're going to have a game night tomorrow night. And, and, and Clifton, in fact, whatever game Callie likes, we're going to like. I said, you just tell me whatever game it is that Callie likes, we're going to have game night at our house. And uh, I said, everything else will fall into place. He said, all right. I said, now you tell me when, when we can do it. I said, because this is important. I said, we got to build a relationship with Callie. I said, the Bible study will happen. He said, Mr. Rob, I'll work on it. So uh, a couple days passed by, Clifton, uh, he calls me and he says, hey, hey, Rob, have you heard the news? I said, heard what news? He said, uh, well, Callie's dad, Rob, had a heart attack. I said, oh, you know, Clifton, I, 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 I feel terrible. I said, but I need to get to the hospital. I said, what hospital is he in? He said, Rob, he didn't make it. A little pause kind of set in, and, and um, I said, Clifton, I, I don't know what to say. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm devastated for Callie. 
I said, I can't imagine her age, you know, and losing her dad all of a sudden like that. And I said, Clifton, I said, the church has got to engage and we've got to engage right now. I said, this is a pivotal moment. I said, for Callie's uh, uh, future, I said, the church has got to get involved. I said, we've got to get flowers sent, food prepared, cards mailed. We've got to get receiving line visitors out there. I said, this is going to be a make or break moment for the church. So I got an, uh, we got in touch with all the key uh, uh, leaders of those particular uh, uh, fields and, and the church responded. One thing about Willette. They're always ready. They're willing. They're able. They want to. And so as soon as you let them know, we need this. We send those emails out and say, there's an opportunity right here. We need a good, we need a good showing for Callie. I said, because it will make all the difference in the world. And the food was prepared. The cards were sent. The, everything was where it needed to be. And brother, it was, it was incredible. They were overwhelmed with love. And um, you know where Callie was in the next service? Some of our members take a two-week hiatus from the church, not Callie. She's sitting in the pew. Brother, she's, 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 a, she's exactly where she needs to be. She's exactly where the, the family... She's sitting in that pew worshiping God. We came up to Callie. We, you know, we, we, uh, we, we told her how much it meant to us, and we're praying for her. You know, people are patting her on the back, and she never missed. And, uh, and we were just overwhelmed with that, with that kind of love. And, uh, and uh, Clifton says, now, Rob, he says, uh, he said, we've got a problem. He said, how are we going to teach her now? I said, what do you mean? He said, Rob, she's going to ask. She said, she's going to ask, Rob. And he said, what are you going to say when she asks? I said, Clifton, I don't know. I said, but I'm going to, I'm going to study on it. I said, because you're right. She's going to ask. I would ask if I was Callie. And I said, I'll tell you what. I said, we need to buy some time. I said, I said, Clifton, go back to our evangelism table. I want you to grab muscle and a shovel. And the next time Callie starts asking about religious questions, he says, she's always asking. I said, just give her muscle and a shovel. Let her do it on her time. And uh, I said, when she's done with that book, that'll give us kind of an indication where she's at. He says, good plan. So he goes back there and gets muscle and a shovel. And uh, he hands it to Callie. And, um, and uh, I get a phone call just a couple days later. He said, Rob, uh, he said, I gave Callie the book. I said, great, that'll buy us some time. He said, Rob, she's finished. I said, finished? I said, it's a two-inch book. And he said, Rob, she read it all last night. He said, Rob, she has so many questions. And I said, uh, Clifton, I said, we, we've, got to, we've got to get you to the house. And so sure enough, we, uh, we invited him over. Nicole fixed one of her meals. Hannah fixed one of those desserts. We sat around the table and we're talking. And Callie, you know, we're just talking about, you know, what do you plan to do, Callie? And she said, I'm going to go into physical therapy. I said, that's great. And, and my mom's in physical therapy. And, 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 and Clifton's going into physical therapy. I said, all right. And I said, I said or occupational therapy. And um, I said, Callie, do, do you know a lot about the Church of Christ? Nah. You know, well, I grew up in the Baptist church with mom and dad. I said, all right. I said, Callie, could, could I spend some time and could, could I... Could we look at the church? Well, sure. I just so happened to have these little booklets right here. And we pulled one out. And I said, uh, uh, John 8, 32. And we just started. And Callie's extremely intelligent. She gets things really fast. She picks them up, you know. And uh, when we finished the study, I said, Callie, did you learn anything tonight? She says, not a lot. I already knew that. And I said, all right. And uh, I said, okay. Um, Kelly, would you like to come back for the second study? She says, okay. So we, we set it up again, going to do study number two, going to talk about the church and worship. And, and I know there's things in that book that contradict what Callie believes or what Callie, at least her, where, where she attends. I'd say, Callie, now, now here, right here in the Lord's Supper, do you see any difference right here between what the Bible says and uh, perhaps what you've done? She says, Rob, it's in the Bible. I'm... She said, if it's in the Bible, I'm going to do it. She said, I don't have any problems with that. 
Man, just, I, was, I was blown away. I said, are you sure? No question. She said, Rob, that's what the Bible says. I said, all right, let's keep going. So, I mean, every time we came to one of those points, Callie had no objection. She just accepted it. And, 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 she's, not, and, and she's actively studying. She's reasoning. She's not, just, she's not just saying it because Clifton wants her to say it. I, you can tell that she's engaged. So we go to the third study, and I'm sitting in my office. And I'm going to be Callie. If I'm sitting in that study tonight... And I start learning what I need to do to be saved because she doesn't understand. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter that she's heard my sermons. It doesn't matter she's read Muscle in a Shovel. Most people just, they just, they don't quite get it until there's that moment. She's going to ask, isn't she? What about dad? What about my dad, Rob? You, you know, it's, it's coming. Now, I had an answer. And I received it from, from an older preacher. And, 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 and the answer they gave me, and, I, and it's been an illustration used by older preachers for a long time. I'm just going to be quite honest with you. Tonight, I don't like it. If, if, if someone gave me that example, I'd be, I'd be uh, more upset than I would have been without the example. And so I said, I don't like it. And so I, I started to think, well, how can I answer this and be truthful? And I, I, I'm going to be truthful, but also how can I answer where she can understand it? Again, I think of John 16, 12. There's many things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. And I've got to understand it. She's not where I'm at. She doesn't even understand the concepts. And so, so I've got to come up with something. And I'm thinking, I come across Luke. Take your Bibles. I want to share with you at least the thought process. Because what I want to do tonight is arm you with answers. I want to give you something you can say. So go to, go to Luke and, and go to Luke chapter 16. I want you to go down to verse number 19. This is a very familiar account of the rich man and Lazarus. And, and uh, I'm going to go someplace that you perhaps are unexpected. And um, so I'm just reading through, trying to come up with something to help Callie process um, you know, the, the death of her father in light of what she's going to learn. So I'm in Luke chapter 16. I'm in verse 19. There was a certain rich man that fared sumptuously every day. And he was clothed in purple and fine linen. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at the gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked the sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and he was carried away by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died and he, um, and uh, the rich man died and he was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off. And he said um, unto him, he said, um, and he cried and said unto Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and come cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, O son, remember thou that thou in thy lifetime receiveth thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And besides all this, between us and thee there is this great gulf fixed, so they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. And then he said, I pray thee therefore... Father, that thou wouldest send to him my father's house. For I have five brethren, that they may not come and testify to him, lest they come into this place of torment. Now watch this, verse 29. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. And I thought about that just for a moment. And I thought about what Callie's dad might say if he could come from the dead. And I thought about what, what 
would, what would someone say if they could come from the dead and their family member was sitting there and they were in a decision, a moment of decision, what would they say? I made a plan. I don't know if it's going to work, but I got a plan. And so, so I went into that study that evening and we put that red booklet out there and Callie starts up and she's, uh, she's uh, talking about uh, you know, faith in Jesus Christ and confession of Christ, all those things she's on board. The problem we had with Callie that night is that when we got to baptism, she got it. I mean, she understood it completely. There was no, there was no ambiguity. She, she, saw, she saw it. She realizes what's going on. And when she realized it, she put her head down and she just bawled. Tears were coming out of her eyes. Nicole put her arm around her and I knew, I knew it was coming. Clifton is sitting there kind of patting her a little bit. And I said, Callie, I'm, I said, I, I think I know why you're hurting. And I know you can't talk. And I, I, I just cried with her. And I said, Callie, I said, I, would, I, I need to say something. And, and I think I know what you want to ask me, but you can't. I said, Callie, you want to ask me about your dad, don't you? And she looked up at me and she kind of looked and I said, Callie, uh, she said, yes. I said, well, that's a, I, I would want to ask that question. I said, that's a, that's a natural question to ask. I said, Callie, I said, uh, did your dad know anything about what we just studied? Did he, did he know this? She said, no, Mr. Rob. I said, did anybody ever teach your dad what I've taught you? To? No, Mr. Rob. I said, Callie, was your dad a good man? She said, yes. I said, well, Callie, was your dad an honest man? Yes. I said, Callie... If your dad could come back right now, being a good, religious, honest man, not knowing what this, but now knowing, I said, Kelly, what do you think he would tell you? to? Now, that's Kelly. What do you think your dad would want you to do with what you've learned in the Bible? And she looked at me. She said, Mr. Rob, my dad would want me to do what the Bible says. I said, I believe that's right. In fact, I, I'm reminded of Hebrews 11 and verse 4, Abel being dead, yet speaketh. I said, Callie, if, if someone could, you know, if, if they could speak from the dead, if someone could bring a message, and, and I said, and, and the message, of course, Christ brought from the dead. He rose from the dead. I said, there's a message here, Callie. I said, I think your dad would want you to do what the Bible says. And she said, Mr. Rob, you're right. She says, I need to be baptized. And I said, I think you do. We got up from the table. And we began to walk, to the ba- walk towards the baptistry, and, and um, I can tell you how relieved I was that she saw that, because I didn't know how this was going to work. And all of a sudden, she stopped, and she turned around, and she walked back, sat on the chair. She sat there. Nicole looked at me. I looked at Clifton. We didn't know what was going on. And finally, uh, uh, Callie, I said, Callie, you okay? She says, Mr. Rob, she says, um, I want to wait on my brother. She said, you know, my brother started attending with me. And she said, I think I'll wait until my brother's a little older and he knows enough. Then one day, both my brother and I will both obey the gospel together. We'll both be baptized together. Uh, brethren, please understand tonight, when you're sitting across the table from someone and you're studying the Bible, it's not, it's not you and them. Brethren, it's the, the evil one, Satan, is in there somewhere. He does not want them to obey. And he's going to do everything in his power to tempt them, to, to persuade them. To, doubts are going to come up. And so when you're sitting there, it's, 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 it's important to know it's not just you and them. It's God and Satan. It's good and evil. And I'm not about to let that pass. And I said to Callie, I said, Callie, I said, that's admirable. And um, one of the things you may want to write down as you're trying to close a study, and, and, and Brother Bates was really good at this, is always repeat what the sinner says. 
So whatever it is that they say, doesn't matter if it's right or wrong, just repeat it. And, uh, and, and make sure you start your conversation where they ended theirs. Don't ever ignore what they say. And so I'm going to accept. I said, Kelly, you're right. I said, you know, your brother needs to obey the gospel. And, and, and Kelly, it's admirable that you want to wait for him. I mean, every brother would be blessed to have a sister like you. But Kelly, why would your brother ever want to obey the gospel if you don't? I said, if you're, if you're not willing to do it and you know what you need to do, why would he want to do it? I said, Callie, uh, the only way your brother is going to go down that road is for you to pave it first. I said, show him the way, Callie. It's going to do much more than any word you Show him the way. And she looked at me and smiled. She said, Mr. Rob, you're right. She said, why would my brother ever want to do this if I won't do it? I said, Callie, you have an opportunity to change your family tree tonight. I said, and we're just getting started. And she says, I understand. And we took her over to the baptistry and she was baptized. And uh, when she was coming up out of the water, she was rejoicing. She was excited. You know, we were all excited and the elders were excited. Clifton was excited. And, and uh, so right after that, um, we had to go to Bible camp. We were leaving, going up to uh, Kentucky. I got up to camp. And when I got up to camp, my phone rang. And I, I said, hello. And he, it's Clifton. Hey, Rob. He said, we got a big problem. I said, what's wrong? He said, Callie went home and told her mother. He said, Mama, she said, I need to tell you what I've been doing. I've been, you know, I've been going to church with, with Clifton, yes. And I, I decided I'd do this study with Mr. Rob. Who's Mr. Rob? Oh, that's, that's, that's Mr. Clifton. That's Clifton's preacher. Who? Uh, the preacher at the Church of Christ. Where? The Church of Christ, Mom. Kelly, you know we don't go there. Oh, but, yeah, but Mom, you know I've been visiting. What did you do? I did a Bible study, Mom. And I learned that I needed to be baptized. Baptized? Kelly, you were already baptized. Kelly, you've already been saved. You, you don't need to be baptized again. But mom, I learned in the Bible. I, here's what I learned. I learned that you are saved. Um, you you got to believe and be baptized. And then you're saved. Kelly, you know we don't believe like that. How dare you do that? Kelly, how dare, how dare you go out there and do that without consulting me? Kelly, how dare you dishonor your father like that? And Clifton said, I witnessed it. And Rob, she fell to the floor and curled up into a ball. And she, it was, he said, Rob, she's just, it's It's terrible. Mother screaming at her, you know, and I had to walk out of the house. He said, he said, Rob, it turned from a joyous moment, a moment of celebration. And now, Rob, he said, well, he said, what's what's what are we going to do now? I said, um, Clifton, I said, uh, I'm going to make a phone call. I said, uh, keep your phone ready. I said, Becca, I think I know the answer to this one. Brethren, I thank God for elders. I thank God for men who have the experience to understand how, because I didn't, I didn't know what to do. So I called Hugh Wayne Clark. And I said, Hugh Wayne, here's the situation. He said, Rob, you stay at camp. He said, I got this. So here's what he told me he did. He called Clifton. He said, Clifton, you know, he said, I understand Callie's become a Christian. He said, yes. I said, Miss Joe's making supper tonight. Come on over. Brethren, you always eat. I mean, it is one of the number one things you do is you eat with people. And he said, he said, well, Mr. Mr. Hugh Wayne, that's really nice. I think we'd come over tonight. So, so they come over to the house. Miss Joe fixes one of her fine meals. They sit around the table. He said, Rob Callie wasn't herself. He, she, was, uh, she was quiet. I could tell something was wrong. I said, Callie, you just became a Christian. She said, yeah. Callie, is there something wrong? Mr. Hugh Wayne, it's, it's not good in my home. My mother, she's, uh, my mother's, she's just, my mother's angry, Mr. Rob. My, my mother is, she's yelling at me. She, my mother says, that, how dare I do this? She, my mother said she hated me, Mr. Hugh Wayne. I don't know what to do. And uh, Hugh Wayne, uh, wisdom of an elder, he looked across the table and he said, uh, Callie, he said, uh, you know what? I think I know why your mom's angry. So she just lost her best friend, Callie. 
I said, her, her world has been turned upside down. And Callie, uh, I said, uh, your mother's not going to hate you forever. Your mother loves you and you know that. And uh, Callie, um, here's what's going to happen. And, and next week, your mother's going to hate you this much less. You won't notice. And, but the next month is going to be this much less. And then three months from now, you're going shopping for shoes. He said, I guarantee it. You know why? I know Benita. I know her. Callie, if, uh, if you give up on the Lord right now, if you quit, if you turn around, I said, any hope you have of your mother ever obeying the gospel will leave. But I want you to know something, Callie. I'm not telling you this is going to be easy, but we'll walk with you. Your church family will be side by side. You will not do this alone. Callie, we love you, and we're going to pray about this. Callie, you can do this. You know where she was the next Sunday? Sitting in the pew. She never missed a service. She's an incredible young lady. And, um, and so, so I walked up to Callie. I said, Callie, I said, well, where, where's your brother, Callie? She says, oh, my mom forbid him to ever come to this church. She, she's never allowed to come again. Mr. Rob, now how are we going to do it? I said, I'm not. I said, you are. I said, go grab the evangelism booklets back to the Bible off the table. And Callie, go do the Bible study. Mr. Rob, I can't do a Bible study. I said, yes, you can. I said, if you can read, you can do a study. And so she grabbed the booklets off the table and her and Clifton went over to the house. And she said, Rob, I walked into Chandler's room and, and, uh, and you know what he was doing? He was listening to the, the sermon from Sunday. And uh, Clifton said, you always listen to sermons, you know? And, and uh, he said, well, uh, you know, if I can't go, I might as well listen. And uh, Clifton said, well, Chandler, we got these little booklets. Uh, we thought we might do the study with you. He said, all right. I lost track of it, I'll be honest. I kind of lost track of what was going on because, I'm, you know, I'm, the members of the church are doing it. It's not me. And uh, I get a phone call Sunday morning, and it's uh, Chandler. Mr. Rob, my name's Chandler. Yeah, son. I said, I remember you. Mr. Rob, I've been doing these booklets. Uh, something called Back to the Bible. I said, yeah, I've heard of it. And uh, he, said, uh, he said, yeah, he said, I finished them. I said, great. He said, Mr. Rob, would you baptize me this morning? Oh, I said, son, I'd love to. I said, have you talked to your mom? He said, no, Mr. Rob, if I talk to my mom, she's going to yell and get upset with me. And I, I, said, I said, Clifton, I, I said, Chandler, I said, you've got to talk to your mom. It's the right thing to do. It's never wrong to do the right thing. I said, son, that is it. I said, I'll tell you what, let's pray about this. And I said, this is going to have a profound effect on your mother. I said, you go to her and let her know from the, your heart what you want to do. And you tell her you've been studying your Bible. And I said, Chandler, I said, it's the, I said you've got to do that. He said, all right. Right after Bible class, he walked in and I, I ran up to him. I said, uh, I said, Chandler, I said, what, what, what's going on? He said, Rob, my mother said I could be baptized and she's on her way to watch. You could have took my breath away at that point. So he, he sits down and, and, uh, and I said, I said, I tell you what, I said, as soon as your mother gets here, I said, we'll baptize you. We finished the Lord's Supper. She walked in the door. I got up and said 2000 years ago, Peter was interrupted. They baptized 3000 this morning. We've been interrupted and we'll baptize one. And we did, but we're not done because the next week, just a few weeks after that, he brings another friend and this is his next friend. This is Marshall. He's sitting in the pew. I'm looking. I said, I said, we've got a visitor walked up. I said, Chandler, who'd you got there? He said, that's Marshall. I said, Marshall says, uh, I kind of enjoyed this morning, Mr. Rob. I said, well, thank you, Marshall. Hey, Chandler, have you uh, talked to Marshall about the Church of Christ? No. I said, we got these little booklets back there. It's called Back to the Bible. I said, go grab some. He says, all right. Guess what happens when you do Bible studies? The best Bible studies I'm a part of are the ones I'm not a part of. 
Brothers, when I watch the church members take those booklets and train and teach their family and their friends and they come to know the Lord, because that's what it's all about. It's when the church engages and when they begin to see that they can do it, that you don't have to rely upon the preacher. You don't have to rely upon an elder. But yes, you, young people, teenagers, older people, you can take a study and you can teach someone the gospel of Christ. There is nothing greater in this world. It transforms churches. That's my last Sunday of Willette. That's actually the Sunday that I announced I was going to step out of the pulpit. And he walked forward to be baptized. But we're not done. Because after I left that congregation, a little bit of time has passed, several years. And Jack Honeycutt, uh, he called me. Uh, I, was at, uh, I was where Gary Hampton is in Sidewell Road. Is that it? Mississippi. And, uh, and I said, I, my phone rang right before I was supposed to get up. And, but I said, man, this must be extremely important. I said, Jack, what's going on? I'm about to speak. He said, Rob, he said, Benita's here. I said, you're kidding me. He said, Rob, she just walked in the door. And man, I, I said a prayer right there. I said, man, this is amazing. I, I prayed. I said, Brant Stubblefield was doing the gospel meeting for Will Ed. And I said, man, this is, this is amazing. You know what happened three days later? Chandler Hudson had a Bible study with his mother. And he baptized her into Christ for the remission of her sins. Brethren, there is no mountain that God cannot overcome. Whatever problem it is that's in your way, you never give up. You never stop. You never say it can't happen because no matter how difficult it looks, no matter how hard you think it is, brethren, with with time, you never know because they might be able to overcome it. What I want to say tonight is that God can overcome any problem you might face. I want to cover some more of these tonight. I want to show you what can happen if you just trust in God and never give up. Every now and then, someone's going to approach you with a sinner's prayer. And brethren, they, they won't let you go. And you can't defer it. They're not going to let you. And I, I defer the sinner's prayer every time it's brought up. I say, you know, I, I, I'll say something because I, I realize if I can get them to, to the bread booklet. And, and 99% of the time I get them right there and they see it. They get it. Sometimes they, they won't let it pass. They said, listen, I've said the prayer and my pastor told me if I say this prayer. And he said, Rob, what do you do when, when, when you're faced with a situation like this? Take your evangelism simplified guidebook and turn to page 88. Go to page 88. I want to share something with you. I, I, I was sitting at the table, and I like to make things simple. I like things to be very simple. And so um, as simplistic as I can to show people so they can kind of be um, shocked by the truth. I don't want to rub their face in it. I don't, want to make this a, I don't want to make this an aha moment, but I want them to understand the truth. So what I did is I took, Matthew 22, I took Acts twenty two sixteen 16, and I, re- I wrote it forward and backwards. I just wrote it forward and backwards. And then um, I put it out there. And um, I said, now, I said, uh, I said, now, tell me which one of these, tell me which one of these is what you did. And they'll look at it and just invariably, they're going to pick option one. They said, oh, yeah, I called on the name of the Lord, you know, and, and sins are forgiven. I was saying, and I was baptized. So then I just write it backwards. I take the verse, I flip it upside down. I said, all right. I said, that's option one. And uh, we, we look at option two. And I said, I want you to read Acts twenty two sixteen for me. I just want you to read it. So they're opening their Bibles, and I'm watching them. You ought to see their expression when they read that. See, option number two says, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on... That's how you call on the name of the Lord. That entire process is, is calling on the name of the Lord. It's not a magic formula. That is the process of it. It's an appeal to, it's an appeal to God. You're appealing to Him by being baptized. That's what Acts twenty two sixteen 16 teaches. 
That's not what they pick. That's not what they pick. Nine, nine, 99 times out of 100, word option one. Now you say, now preacher, what do you do next? Nothing. Brother, I do nothing. I let them look at it. I let them kind of think about it. And if they don't want to talk about it, I don't talk about it. I'm not going to rub their face in it. I'm not going to say, listen, you realize you got this backwards, you know, and you, because I want to let this book do all the teaching. My goal is to get them to Romans 6. My goal is to get them to page 9 on that red booklet. But there are times when they don't let me out. They're, not, they're, they're going to force an answer. So in your Evangelism Simplified Guidebook, do you all see all those charts? There's a lot of charts in there. Someone came up to me and said, Rob, I took, my, I took the prospect through every chart. I said, oh, please don't do that. You're over-teaching. Those charts are what I call safety nets. And if you get caught in a situation where you need help, there's a chart there to help you. And every time I get caught in a situation, and I, what I do is I, I, I design a chart. I said, all right, I, I've got that. In fact, I've taken, I've taken other preachers' ideas. B.J. Clark one time gave me an idea for a chart. He said, now, Rob, when I'm in this situation, this is what I do. I said, can I steal it? He said, you, you can have it. And uh, so I take these charts, I just put them together and said, this is what I'd do if I was caught in this situation. Now, some t- someday, someone is going to tell you about their religious experience. That was Sheila. Uh, she wouldn't, I mean, it was... It was she was not going to let that pass. She said, now, Rob, you need to know I'm saved. And she said, Rob, it was a dark and stormy night. The, the rain was falling. The lightning was striking. The thunder was roaring. And the Holy Spirit took... You remember that story I told y'all Sunday? So she's not going to let that go. And um, let me tell you what happened after she was baptized. She invites my family. She invites us over to the house. We're sitting around the table having the spaghetti dinner. And um, she says, Rob, I said, yes, Sheila. She said, you remember, you, you remember, that, uh, you remember that story, Rob, about, uh, about the lightning striking and, you know, the, the, my, my, um, my religious experience? I said, yes. She said, Rob, uh, I still believe it happened that way. And I looked at her and she was like, she was just waiting for me to respond. And uh, brother, those seven principles I taught you, I still use them. Even after they become a Christian, I didn't bite I said, Sheila, I said, I wasn't there. I, I, I'm just glad you obeyed the gospel. And she said, all right. So I let it go. She's, I'm, I'm not going to engage her right there. I'm going to let some time. I'm going to let her faith grow. She said, you don't feed a steak to an, an Angus steak to an infant. She's, she, there's some things she's just not ready for. And so I waited. But a year passes by. She invites us over to the house again. We're sitting around that table. She said, Rob, she said, I've kind of been thinking, you know, that religious experience. I said, yes, Sheila, the lightning strikes the tree. The tree catches on fire. It falls over the road. She said that one. She said, well, I'm not so sure any of that happened anymore, Rob. She said, I don't know where I came up with that story. She said, I've been trying to think about it. And I may have dreamed all that up. I said, uh, I, said I guess it doesn't really matter now, does it, Sheila? What would have happened, brother, if I'd engaged her in that? I'd have lost her. But I'd have completely lost her because she's not ready. And so sometimes in a study, it's not what you say, it's what you don't say. Sometimes it's just making sure that sometimes you don't have to engage. So the best thing to say is just to disengage and give them time to process things. And so don't force it. By forcing it, you'll do more damage. So, so there are times in a study, I like to keep myself in the study and not get distracted. What if they're living together? Well, that's Amy and Evan. You'll find more and more of that. I was recently doing some door knocking. We ran into that, I don't know, Nicole, how many, several times we ran into this. And, and, uh, and they're living together. And, you know, for, for someone that doesn't come from a culture where this is prevalent, I said, it, it can shock you. You know, what am I going to say now? What am I, well, let me, let me share with you some things that we've done through the years. 
So um, Sheila called me that night and she said, Rob, she says, uh, she says, I know you just had this study with Evan. I said, yes. How'd it go? I said, it went really good, Sheila. I said, Sheila, I said, next study, they'll be baptized. She said, Rob, I've got something to tell you. Evan just bought a house and Amy moved in. I said, oh. She said, now, Rob, I didn't tell you this. She said, you didn't get this from me, Rob. And I said, I know. She, now, Rob, I don't sanction this. I said, I know you don't sanction it. She, Rob, I raised him better than that. I know, Sheila. I know you did. She said, don't tell him I told you. I said, I won't tell him, Sheila. And she said, but you needed to know. And uh, I looked at Nicole. I said, uh, I said, we got to address it. And I'm trying to think of how am I going to address this. And, and Brendan, this is common today. I just got a, we just got a Facebook message. Was it yesterday? Someone said, I've got this example here and I don't know what to do. So we're sitting in that study and uh, open your red booklet. I'll, I'll give you a couple places. Open your red booklet. The, let me show you a few places where this can be addressed. And it can be addressed without being awkward. All right. Go to, um, go to page number three. Page number three. First Corinthians chapter six. This is nine through ten. Then righteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers. It's all right there. So there's your sins, right? So you can, you can define the sins. You can, you can make sure they understand what the sin is. So, so there's where we're going to define sin. We're going to make sure they get. Now, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call them down. I'm not going to make it awkward. We're going to get over here to Acts 2.38. We're, we're going to get over here to page 7. And um, we're, we're, we're rocking along in the study. It couldn't go any smoother. They, all they can see, they, they can see it. They know exactly where we're heading that night. And I get to Acts 2.38 and I said, uh, I said, Evan, I said, read that for me. He said, uh, repent. I said, that's enough. He said, what? I said, write, write it in the blank, repent. He said, all right. I said, all right. I said, I think we're done tonight. He says, done. He said, Mr. Robbins says to be baptized. I said, I, I know that. And, and I said, but I think we're done tonight. And, and um, in fact, I, I've got a story I need to tell you guys. Now, one of, the, one of the things I learned in How to Close a Study, and it's a, it's a book that uh, Bobby had half written, and I finished it uh, about a year ago, um, and uh, we put it out there because there are awkward situations in studies, and sometimes you just don't know what to say. And uh, one of the things that helps in these awkward moments is to take it out of themselves and cast it along almost like a parable somewhere else. In other words, don't address them directly. And so I, I used an example. I said, you know, Evan... I said, when I was coaching um, soccer in, um, in uh, um, Webster County in Kentucky, um, I said, uh, I, I started a team there at the school, and it grew. And one, one day the principal came out and said, Coach Whitaker, you got an assistant coach today. I said, well, great. His, his name is Terry, Terry Starks. Nice to meet you, Terry. We became good friends. Now, Nicole's always coming to the practice, and um, there's this lady, this young lady that keeps coming, and Nicole tells me her name's Marlena, Terry's girlfriend. We became very good friends. We're going out to eat. I have one objective, by the way. Just want to study. And uh, we're getting, and we, man, we're eating together. Finally, Terry looks at me. He said, Rob, he said, I'm telling Amy and Evan this story. I said, I got, I got a problem. I said, what's going on? He said, Rob, uh, he, said, um, he said, if the school finds out, they'll fire me. I said, what do you mean? He said, I teach health class. And I teach abstinence. And I, I signed a moral waiver, a, a moral document, Rob. And Rob, I'm living, we're living together. And I don't know how to fix this. She has no family in this area. And I said, Terry, I know exactly what we need to do. He said, what? You need to come to my house and eat brisket. I said, it all, I said just come to the house and eat. And so we come over to the house and eat, and we're talking, you know. I said, Terry, I said, uh, I, said I think what we need to do is study the Bible. I said, I just so happen to have these little booklets right here. And I said, why don't we do that together? So we started our studies. We did it for several weeks. We come to the red booklet. 
And um, I said, uh, Amy and Evan, do you know what happened? Marlena looked at Nicole and she said, Nicole, she said, I don't, I don't have any place to go. And Nicole looked across the table and she said, yes, you do. She said, that bedroom's yours, Marlena. And uh, she said, she moved out and we, uh, we married them and we baptized them, married them. And I said, I just thought you'd like to know that story. And uh, you guys have any questions for me? They looked at each other, looked at me. And uh, they said, no. I said, I said, Hannah, bring the cookies. And she brought the cookies and chocolate chip. And we ate them, chocolate chip, Julie. And, uh, and, and they walked out of the house. And, uh, and when they walked out of the house, Amy looked over at Evan. She said, Evan, I think they know about us. <laughs> the whole county knew about them. And nothing's a secret in a small town. And uh, so I went to polishing the pulpit that year. Just the next week, I actually taught this lesson uh, during that session. And um, I remember because I said, if, if, if Amy calls... I'm going home. And she did. And uh, she said, Rob, I can't live like this anymore. I said, Amy, excuse me? Rob, I can't do this anymore. I said, Amy, do what? Rob, I'm just done with this. I said, Amy, I, I don't understand. I just wanted her to tell me. And she said, Rob, I'm, I moved in with Evan. I said, I know that, Amy. And she said, Mr. Rob, she says, I'm moving out. I said, where are you going? Live with my grandmother. I said, all right. Mr. Rob, would you meet me down at the building and baptize me? I said, I'll be right there. She said, good, because Evan will be right behind me. (laughs) And he was. And there she is. I got to tell you this right here. So because uh, William Mitchell studied the Bible with uh, his wife Scarlett and converted her, I get a phone call from Chris Coyle. Rob, I got two people I need you to study with. I had no idea how to do it. It really transformed our evangelistic efforts. And uh, we, we took Jackie and Sheila and baptized them because of that one study. And because of that one study, I was able to reach Evan and Amy. Because of that one study, Evan and Amy are going to be able to reach Kaisen and Everly. Brother, it takes one Bible study to change a generation just one. We are one Bible. Think about this right now. You are one Bible study away from changing a family. You're one Bible study away from changing a congregation. Brother, we are one Bible study away from changing this nation. We have got to do Bible studies. We have got to approach them with the love of God and the blood of Jesus Christ and show them the better way because that is the answer to what ails churches. It's the answer to what this nation is facing right now. We need to show them Jesus. So I'm going to take the toughest one because you will run into it. Eventually, someone is going to bring their marriage into question. We're sitting in our living room and, and uh, here's Sharon and Jimmy and they're talking. And we're, we're just, you know, building that relationship, right? And, and Sharon's very freely speaking. There's nothing off limits, nothing that we're not going to talk about. And she said, now, Rob, in my first marriage... I wish I could have put pause right there. Just stop. Because, brethren, I'll tell you, if there's one thing I wish I never had to deal with in a Bible study, it's this right here. No elder wants to deal with it. No preacher wants to deal with it. It's difficult. It's emotional. It's heart-wrenching. And I said to myself, I'm going to do all this work and all this. We're going to put all this effort into it. And she's, they're probably not even in a scriptural marriage. I shouldn't have thought like that. But that's what I, I'm just going to be honest. That was my thought. But then I remembered... I remembered um, John 16, 12 again. 
I have yet many things to say to you. You can't bear them now. I can't approach them with marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They're not, they're not ready for that. I can't, I can't have... Well, now, Sharon, let me, let me open the Bible. And let's go ahead and read Matthew 19 and, and tell me more about your marriage because if I do that, it's over. They're, they're, there's no way in the world they can digest that. They're not ready for any of that. So I'll tell you what I did. I bit my tongue. And the old Rob would have never done that. I just fired right into that. And I said, no, I'm not going to do it. And I just acted like I didn't even hear it. Remember one of my seven principles is hearken? I'm hearkening. I'm listening. And uh, so we're going in. We're going into that uh, relationship. We're going out to eat. You know, I think one, one day we even went over to Sharon's classroom. We helped her get ready for her kindergarten class that year. And we're, we're building that relationship up. And, and they're coming to church. And the, the church is showering them with cards. And they're loving it. We, we finally get the back to the Bible, book one. And they're just overjoyed to learn the Bible. Never done a study before. We get the back to the Bible, book two. They loved it. And then we get to book three. We're in book three, and I'm going to let the study do the work. And I said, uh, uh, Jimmy, let's read this together. Know ye not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Be not deceived. And I said, uh, uh, neither uh, fornicators. I said, Jimmy, do you know what a fornicator is? He says, yeah. yeah. Sharon says, yeah, the, yeah, Rob, we know what that is. I said, okay, that's fine. And then, uh, no, idolaters. Uh, Sharon, do you know what an idolater is? She said, yes, those are those people who worship gold things. Close enough. That's close enough. And I said, all right. I said, um, hey, Jimmy. Sharon, do you know what an adulterer is? And uh, she says, uh, I think so, Rob. I said, well, I think we need to be very clear here. Let's just make sure. I said, take your Bible to Matthew 19. Here's, here's what I'm going to do tonight for you. I want you to write down four things in your book, your note section. Because I learned this from an older gospel preacher. He said, Rob, anytime I come across this, I write four things down. And everything fits into these four things. And it's simple. He said, you, you, everybody can get this. It doesn't matter what your level of education is. Everybody's going to get this tonight. So I'm in Matthew chapter 19. I said, all right, I've been doing this for years. And it seems to always work. And uh, I said, let's look at what the Bible says. And the Pharisees, verse 3, go to verse 3. And we're just going to read. I'm, I'm with Jim. I said, we're just going to read this. And I'll make a few points. Now, the Pharisees came to him and... And they were tempting him, and they said unto Jesus, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Um, and uh, notice how Jesus responds. He doesn't answer. <laughs> he, he turns it around on him, like he always did. And he answered unto them and said, Have you not read? There's his question. Have you guys not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? Friends, may I suggest to you tonight that any time you talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, you go to the book, Have You Not Read? We don't need to quote anybody else. We need to quote the Lord. He's the one that wrote the book. The Lord said, read. That's where we're going. He said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. And wherefore, there are no more twain but one flesh. Wherefore, but God has joined together. Number one, write this down. God does the joining. God is the one that joins people in marriage. And um, it's, hard to, it's hard to argue with that. God is the... In fact, he's the only one. God is the only one that has that power. He, he, I don't have that power. You know, if, if you don't follow what God says, it doesn't matter what the judge says. Now, I, I know we need to try to live in harmony with what the laws of the land say, and we do our very best. But when it comes down to it, God is the one that makes marriage. Number two, did you know God never violates his law? When he makes marriage, he always follows his law. There's never a violation of the law. And so when it comes to marriage, God is going to always stay within the law. That was a, I said, Jimmy and Sharon, do you understand that? They said, sure. I said, well, let's keep reading then. All right. Verse 6. Where, 
What wherefore God has joined together, because God does the joining, let not man put asunder. Only God dissolves marriage. And so God is the one that makes a marriage. God's the one that dissolves a marriage. And there's something else that, that's very important. He always dissolves it according to his law. He doesn't violate it. Four things that I've asked you to write down tonight that, that bring clarity to almost every situation. And um, so I'm looking at Jimmy and Sharon. I said, Jimmy and Sharon. I said, uh, now, Matthew chapter 19. I said, God does the joining. And uh, friends, this, this should not have been more clear than when the Supreme Court and our president several years ago said, uh, you know what? Two men can get married. These points could not be more clear. That it's not man, it's a final arbiter on marriage. It is God that's a final arbiter on marriage. And a man can't go take another man to be his husband. It's unlawful. God's not, it violates the law of God. But you know what? No more than can a man go take another man to be his husband than can a man go take another man's wife. You can't do it. You cannot go take another man's wife. It's wrong. You say, well, well, the judge said, I don't care what the judge said. And the judge can tell you you can have two wives. It doesn't matter to me. Brother, I'm, I'm concerned about what God said. And, and the only thing that matters when it comes to marriage, what does the Bible say? Everybody gets that. Look what it says in verse 19, Jimmy and Sharon. It says, whosoever putteth away his wife, except to be for fornication, and marries another, committeth adultery. And he that marrieth her that is put away, committeth adultery. I said, do you, do you understand that? And they said, yeah. I said, there's a couple more verses I need you to look at. They're real simple verses. And I, I think we do a disservice in a study when we don't bring it to its conclusion. And, and Jesus was remarkable at this. You, he was so clear, you can't miss it. So go to verse number 10. His disciples said unto him, Jesus, um, if this is the case with a man and a woman, it's not good that anybody should get married. I mean, it scared him to death. Question, did the disciples understand the restrictive nature of marriage. Did they get it? Of course they got it. They got it so they were, it scared them. Because we started out verse 3 with marriage being put away for any cause to marriage being put away for one cause. So, so the disciples heard this and they said, man, that, that's, uh, that's tough, Jesus. Look at verse 11. Jesus said unto them, you know what? All uh, preachers won't preach it. All elders won't enforce it. All schools won't allow it. Yes, all, all brethren won't like it. He said, all men will not. Notice what he says in verse 11. All men cannot receive the saying, save to whom it is given. For there are some that are eunuchs, which were born from their mother's womb. Now, I'm going to be delicate tonight. Um, I know I have a mixed audience. So uh, there are some men who are born and they're just not fully functional. They're born eunuchs. All right, that's category one. Let's go to category two. And then there are some which were made eunuchs of men. I have a sneaky suspicion that perhaps the eunuch of Acts 8 was made a eunuch of men. You're not going to be serving in the queen's court and be fully functional. It's not going to happen. I may be off on that, but it very could have happened that way. Now, let's go to the third categories where we're heading. Then there are some who had to make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. I said, Jimmy and Sharon, I don't know the certain situation about your marriage. I don't know. My job is just to teach you. I need to ask. I said, is your marriage lawful with God? Sharon looked across the table. She said, Rob, that was easy to understand. She said, my first husband committed adultery. He, he cheated on me with another woman. I said, that's fine. I said, I, 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 I said, we're good. But you know, it always doesn't happen that way. It didn't with Geneva. She's sitting across the table. She, she's sitting with us and talking. She said, Rob, I've got a problem. 
I said, what's wrong, Geneva? She said, my husband has had five wives. I said, oh, no. I said, Geneva. I said, well, maybe all of them committed adultery. She said, no. She said, Rob, I didn't know this. I said, I understand. She said, Rob, I want to do what's right. I said, I know you do, Geneva. And she did. And she put him away. Brethren, always give people an opportunity to do what's right. Don't ever sell people short. Don't ever say, well, you know, they're never going to do it because you know what? They just might. Always give a person an opportunity to do the right thing. You know who's on the other side of that picture? Three little girls watching their mother do what is right. She takes them to Bible class to worship. And by the way, Geneva will never be alone. Not on Christmas, not on Thanksgiving. She will never be alone. You know, Mark chapter 10, when that rich young ruler came up to the Lord and and, and the Bible says that Jesus, what does the Bible say that Jesus did? He beheld him and he loved him. He loved him so much he told him the truth, didn't he? He said, you got to sell everything you've got and give it. you got to take up your cross and follow me. And you know what the man did? He left and Jesus led him. He didn't chase him. He didn't beg him to come back. He didn't say, I'm so sorry. I didn't say it in the right way. And I think we should be loving and kind, but brethren, we can't compromise the truth of the gospel. And when it comes to marriage, I've got to show people what the Bible says. I'm not their judge. I'm not their jury. That's not my job. I'm not a private investigator, but I'm going to show them what the Bible says. And here's what I've learned. You know, most people, they're smart enough to figure it out. They can read their Bible and understand it. She read that Bible. She said, Rob, she said, I got a problem. I didn't know her situation. I didn't know she'd been married five times. She figured it out. I didn't have a, I didn't have to go behind Sharon's back and, and look at the, the local court, county courthouse or do an internet search. She got it. Always give people an opportunity to do what's right. And many times, there, there are times when they will, times when they won't. What about the end times? What if they keep bringing up the, the rapture and, you know, if, if, uh, if, if the thousand year reign? And, and what, what if they do that to you in a Bible study? Well, I'll submit this. Go ye therefore and teach. Teach them what they need to know to become a Christian. Baptize them. And then, brethren, teach them everything else they need to know. You know, there is a congregation in the New Testament that did not understand the second coming, an entire church. It's called Thessalonica. They were confused. And so it may be, brethren, that they don't... When I baptized, by the way, Jimmy Fisher, you know what he had in his library? The Left Behind series. You know what I did with that? I let it go. And uh, in fact, he brought it up a couple times, and I just let it go. And I'm not going to fight that battle. That's a, that's a distraction. I'm not, but after the study, guess what we did? He's not a premillennialist today, I guarantee it. And what I found is that when a person realizes that they were wrong on the biggest item, that, that they, they weren't told the truth about salvation, when a person realizes that, brethren, all the other stuff, you know, it's possible that I was wrong on that too. So I'm going to start with the big thing. Because the little things, they kind of take care of themselves after that. They're, they're, they, people begin to realize, well, you know, if I was wrong on baptism, maybe I was wrong about the thousand-year reign. And then so instead of starting there, I'm going to follow the biblical order here. Teach, baptize, and teach. It works a lot better. What do you do after they become a Christian? Well, we have a robust new converts uh, strategy we teach in our school that involves two things. It involves a uh, new convert class and a mentoring. And uh, so when we, uh, when we have a new convert, they're immediately going to go into a new convert class. Bobby Bates. I don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, question and answers, just like back to the Bible. It's a great place to send them. They're going to be there for probably about a year. 
six months to a year, and you're going you're gonna to make sure that every new convert has a, a class where they can grow and they can, and they can feel free to ask questions and, and, and they can have an interactive uh, situation. And then during the week, we're going to mentor them. We're going to sit down and we're going to mentor them. We're going we're gonna to make sure they have relationships in the church. It's an it's a important strategy, one I'll talk about more later. But you, you cannot, brethren, when, when a new convert walks in the front door, lock the back door, don't let them out. Because if you don't pay them the attention they need and help them grow, you'll lose them. You'll lose them as fast as you get them. And so it's very important that we have a robust new convert strategy in the local church. It needs to be something that someone is dedicated, committed. They're appointed. This is your job. And we're going to work together as a church to make sure we get there. What if you have only one opportunity to teach? This happens from time to time. I use does it matter. It's a one-method study. By the way, you know, sometimes... There are some that just need one method. They just need one study. I mean, they've been sitting in your pews for 10 years. They don't need three studies. Or maybe it's a young person, but they struggle to make that final decision. It's a great series. Maybe there's somebody who grew up in the church, and now they're 30, 40 years old and never obeyed the gospel. And so they, don't, they understand Old Testament, New Testament. They got that. They just need help across the finish line. It's an excellent campaign book. Excellent. And so I would encourage you to look at Does It Matter? It's a... It's a great evangelistic tool, takes back to the Bible, condenses it into one lesson, and uh, very effective. It has a very high percentage of success. Let's go to the next question. What if they don't believe in God, the Bible, or Christ? And we have a growing number of people that fit this. Mike and I were talking about this this morning, that in our communities, a very diverse communities, we have more and more people who do not know who God is. Brethren, you cannot start with back to the Bible if a person does not believe in God. They don't respect the truth, authority. They, they, don't, they don't believe in it. And so you've got to take them where they're at. They're not where you're at. They're probably not where your community's at. They're not, you, you, when you go out into the, the world, you're going to find people of all different belief systems. And so that's why those questions are important. And if you find out the person says, you know, I'm not so sure there's a God. Well, I've got a perfect study. It's called Believe the Bible. And we'll find out, you know, why do I believe in God? And then if they don't believe in the Bible, we're going to use a... Supplement B, Bible inspiration. Why do I believe? What is the Bible? And and how do I know it's the word of God? And why is it important to me? And so we're going to take them wherever they're at. And if they say, yeah, I I think I believe in God and the Bible, but I'm not so sure who Jesus is. Who is that? Well, I got blessed C. Who is he? He's the son of God. He's the savior of the world. How do you know he existed? I'm going to give you evidence he existed. Then we're going to talk about why it's important that he came and he died and he rose again. And so you got to take people wherever they're at. Here's the point I want to make to the church tonight. Brethren, no matter where they're at, there's a tool. Don't be afraid. We, we, you, you, we are prepared to bring, to bring them to the cross. So regardless if they're a Muslim, an atheist, whether, whether or not they're living together, whether or not they have a marriage issue, whether or not they're just hung up on the sinner's prayer, there is always an answer for us. I have one more slide I want to show you tonight, and then we'll be dismissed. I still find in the church there are too many of our members who don't believe this works. And um, yes, we've done our evangelism training for the year, but not it doesn't work here in Odessa, Rob. That doesn't work in Midland, um, Rob. It's it's it's, it's not going to America. We're just too far gone. In 2020, uh, we hit 32 churches that year. Can I share with you what happens when you evangelize even during COVID? The churches, not me, 
No, the churches baptized 371 people. Brethren, can you imagine what will happen if the Lord's church focuses like a laser beam on evangelism? That we raise within our pews an army of soul winners from Texas to New Hampshire to Florida to California. If we, we arm our members with, a, with an evangelistic tool, we teach them how to use it, we show them that it's possible. I mean, if during COVID we can reach 371 people, how many people do you think we'll reach this year? I can tell you right now it's over 370. How about next year? How about we can just keep growing this? How about if more and more Christians gain the confidence and, and elders and, and preachers training members how to reach souls? Can you imagine what the church might... I mean, you know, I'll just be honest with you. I have, a, I have a dream. I have a goal. My family knows it very well. Before I die, I'd just like to see the church have one net year of growth. Just one. Well, we don't lose 18,500 members. We don't lose 6,800 members. But one day, and brethren, it is possible. And I know it is. I know that God has the ability. It's not God that limits us. We can't limit God. We can't say, God, it can't be done. We can't say, God, this nation is beyond saving. Brethren, there are people lost and you know them. You are the link. So if you don't do your job, who's going to do it for you? Mike doesn't know him. Adam doesn't know him. You do. So who, who are we going to wait for? Brother Guy in Woods, one year, I was listening to the Freed Hardman uh, question and answers form. He made a good point. He said, brethren, are we waiting for the atheists to do it for us? Because they don't believe in God. Are we waiting for our denominational friends to do it? Because they don't have the truth. Are we waiting for the agnostic, the agnostics to do it? <laughs> who are we waiting for? Brethren, we have to do it, and you can do it. The greatest evangelistic works of the local church, they're not done necessarily by your preacher. They're done by the church working together. The pulpit, the elders, the deacons, the members, because the body is not one member, it's many. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. We're going to go ahead and put out the 10-point plan. It's a very general plan of how a church can, can have some evangelistic growth. And then I'm going to meet with your elders, preachers, and deacons. We're going to break it down piece by piece. It's exciting. Now, ladies, tomorrow night, and, uh, and Miss Nicole is going to, and I have to beg her to do this. This is not, this is against her. She's a very quiet woman. I said, Nicole, the ladies need to hear from you, not me. There are gifts that you have, talents that God has given you that men don't have. And, and without you, we can't do our job, ladies. So tomorrow night, she'll take you. And I believe we're going to go to the fellowship hall over here. And, um, and ladies, you'll meet there and uh, you'll have a PowerPoint presentation as well. And we're going to take you through the 10 recipes for evangelism. And so this is going to be an exciting, I think, moment for the church. We're going to begin to now take everything we've learned and lay out a plan. Here's what we need to do. Um, just a couple more things before we dismiss. I mentioned a couple of books tonight. This is the Growing in Christ book. It's, a, it's made for new converts. I highly recommend it. It is, it is, um, it is an excellent resource to help Christians grow. Um, a couple more. This is something I found in Bobby's office about a year and a half, two, two years ago, maybe. We were going through his filing cabinets. Uh, Wilma always, she says, Rob, the office is yours. And I found this unfinished book. And I said, Wilma, I said, what is this? He said, well, Bobby had been, you know, using this with his students, how to close a study. And I noticed it's not finished. I said, Wilma, could I just, she said, well, you just take it. 
I said, well, what, what, can I finish it? She said, just finish it. So I took the chapters he didn't finish. I added a few things. And uh, this came out about a year, a year ago. It's how to close a study. And uh, if I had just one evangelistic book in my library, this would, this would be the one. Because that is the hardest part of the study. It's at the end, getting them to say yes. And uh, Jesus gives us a lot of great uh, uh, illustrations, principles to help a person get there. Remember, it was Agrippa that said, almost thou persuadest me. Should you be persuasive? I sure hope so. If there's ever anything that you should be persuasive about, it's the gospel of Christ. So those are some tools we have available. Thank you for being here tonight. And uh, we'll be dismissed in prayer. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to study from thy word. Father, we're thankful for this training seminar. We thank thee, Father, that uh, you have provided us an opportunity to be servants in your kingdom. And Father, bless us tonight as we leave this place that we would have a, a commitment and a desire, Father, and a resolve to take the gospel to the lost. And Father, that no challenge is greater than what thou can overcome. And Father, that we placed our trust in thee for thy art, our king, our Lord, and our master. And Father, we thank Thee for Thy grace, Your mercy. And Father, that You loved us enough to send Your Son. And Father, the world does not know this message. Help us, Father, show them this message in our life. Teach it to them. And Father, that more and more souls could follow the name of Thy Son. Bless this congregation. Bless uh, the eldership here. And we pray for Brother Mike as he labors here in the pulpit. And, and we, we thank Thee, Father, for the good that they're doing. And pray for the, the Orr family and the good that they're doing. And as we work together, that this, this congregation and all the churches of Christ would glorify thy Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.